Thank you, Sue, and everyone who participated in our service this evening. I appreciate all the work and preparation that goes into all that takes place on a Sunday night. It's certainly great to see you all. This is a tremendous turnout tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness and your desire to be here this evening. As they are distributing the handouts for tonight, let me just push the Fall Frolic on October 16th. That's a great event from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. It's a wonderful family event. There are going to be activities for, for all ages. There's going to be plenty of games, loads of food. Uh, it's a wonderful activity to introduce the church to people that don't normally come. If you have friends, relatives, uh, people that would uh, enjoy a day like that and don't have any church affiliation, it would be a good opportunity to introduce them to our church. They're welcome to come. They, all of it is going to be at no cost, so there's nothing that would uh, prohibit or hinder other people from participating. There are some sign-up sheets out there. It's helpful to try to get some kind of guesstimate on uh, how many people are coming so that food preparations can be adequate, of course. Uh, but don't let that stop you. If you've got somebody that uh, at the last minute is willing to come, bring them. I'm sure we'll have enough, but it is nice to know an approximate number. Uh, but keep that in mind, October 16th, uh, from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock, the rain date is the following Saturday. So if it rains on the 16th, Lord willing, we'll have it on the 23rd. Tonight, we continue our study on the contrast of the first Adam to the second Adam. That all that we lost in the first Adam was restored in the second Adam, namely Christ. And not only was it restored, but all that was anticipated, all that was hoped for in the first Adam is realized in Jesus Christ. So we not only have a condition that is prior to the fall, but better than prior to the fall. Our key verse tonight is found in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 22. For as in Adam all die... So in Christ shall all be made alive. We want to talk about that reality, that in Christ, in relationship to him, all will be made alive. When we read the words in Adam and in Christ, it is referring to in relationship to Adam, in relationship to Christ. So that in relationship to Adam, all those united to Adam die, all those united to Christ will be made alive. The believer's hope is primarily a future hope. The believer's comfort is primarily a future comfort. We are looking forward to a day in which we are going to be resurrected. And when we are resurrected, we're going to know life and abundantly and in a way that uh, far, far exceeds anything that we have ever experienced in this life. And we are to live in anticipation of that life to come. It is to encourage us. It is to help us. It's to put in perspective the pain and the suffering that we experience now, realizing that's part of the fall, it's part of our present existence. But the great hope is that that future existence is going to be free of all pain, free of all tears, free of all death, free of all sorrow. So we long for that day. We say with the writer of the book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. Uh, it will be tremendous. So tonight... We want to unpack that verse as an Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. In our relationship to Adam, we experience death. This is review. 
the punishment that Adam received, we received. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We experience spiritual death in our relationship to Adam. Therefore, thou shalt surely die. It's referring to the statement of God in Genesis 2.17 But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. If you remember anything from tonight, the thing that I can tell you that I believe is going to be of most value is the definition that we need to keep in mind when we think about death. Death is not non-existence. Death is not non-existence. Death of God is always, and I underline that word always, separation. Separation is the best Definition of death. Spiritual death, which Adam experienced the day that he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is separation from God. He was separated from God in fellowship with God. There was now a barrier between himself and God. Secondly, we experience physical death in our relationship to Adam. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when we talk about physical death, we're talking about separation of body and soul. Or, if you want to think of it in terms of body, soul, and spirit, but it's separation. Our body goes in the ground, and our spirit goes to be with God. And so there's separation, physical death, body to the ground. Spirit, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, goes to be with him. Thirdly, we experience eternal death in our relationship to Adam. Genesis 3.22 Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So he was barred. He was separated from the tree of life. The book of Revelation speaks of a second death that occurs after the judgment when non-believers are resurrected and they experience a second death. That doesn't mean they're annihilated. That doesn't mean that they are no longer existing. But the second death that the book of Revelation speaks of is an eternal separation from God. It is that banishment to the lake of fire. And what is most significant is that it is a final and complete separation from God. A final, complete separation from God, which no one has yet experienced in this life. But in the life to come, that is what mankind is going to know. But let me give you an aside here, because if you think about it, and people have questioned well, how can you be eternally separated from God? God is omnipresent. Is there any place where God is not? The answer is no. And so when we talk about the second death, and we're talking about hell and banishment, what we are talking about is separation from the love of God, from the mercy of God, from the passion of God. All that one knows in that existence is the wrath of God. The displeasure of God. The judgment 
of God. So it doesn't mean that the non-believer is totally out of God's mind or that he is totally unaware of God. It is that he is separated from God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. And that is purely a future event. We need to understand in this life in which we live that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. God has not totally forsaken anyone that is in this present condition. No one is totally separated from God's mercy. Totally separated from God's compassion. God has compassion not only upon the just, but the unjust. God is merciful. God relents. God doesn't pour out his wrath today in the way in which he's going to pour it out future. And so many times we look at the present age and we say, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? They both get cancer. They both have hardships. Both of them, their houses burn down. Both of them experience good things because the rain does fall on the just and the unjust. Well, it's because in this life, in this present existence, no one is totally separated from God. But that day will come to an end. And there will be a day in which those people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to be separated from His love and His mercy and His compassion and know only His judgment and condemnation. B. In our relationship to Christ, we experience life. Life. And life in the Word of God is not just existence. Any more than death is non-existence. Everyone is going to experience Eternal existence. Fallen mankind doesn't fall off the scene. They don't become annihilated. They don't cease to exist at some time in the future. They exist forever. But they don't have quote unquote life. Because life in the word of God is union. Just as death is separation, life is union. We have spiritual life as a result of our relationship to Christ. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men unto justification of life. So, through Jesus Christ, we have union. Union with God. Union with Christ. Secondly, we have physical life as a result of our relationship to Christ. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept, for by for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we die physically in our relationship with Adam, meaning separation of body and soul. Bodies in the grave. The soul and spirit is with God. We look forward to that time in which we experience resurrection, which is union. Union of our physical body. And our spirit. Our spirit returns with Jesus Christ. He returns to this earth and our bodies are resurrected. And our souls and our bodies are reunited. And so we have life. We have union of body and soul. And then third, we have eternal life. As a result of our relationship to Christ. That as sin unto death, even so might... Grace reigned through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord, which simply means that we will never, ever be separated from God.
never ever separated from God. We have an eternal union with God. So, the Word of God tells us, John 17, 3, this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who now sent. You have today eternal life. Meaning that, from this day forward, there is never a time that you are going to be separated from God. When you experience physical death, the body is in the grave. The spirit goes to be with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You always have union with God. But we look forward to that day in which we have resurrection life. When body and soul are reunited and in our bodies we have an everlasting union and relationship with God. Experiencing nothing but his peace, his joy, his love, no condemnation, no dread, no wrath of that sort. Thirdly, the Corinthian passage focuses on the resurrection life that we have in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15:42. So also is the resurrection of dead, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. 1 Corinthians 15.35, some will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? Now, I'm, I'm going into uh, kind of an excursus to some degree, because people always want to know about the resurrection body. And so, we're going to really quickly read through 1 Corinthians to talk about the resurrection body. I'm, I'm not going to focus a great deal on that, however. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, in the weeks that lie ahead do a lot about the resurrection body, what I have to say I'm going to cover tonight, and uh, what I can't finish, I'm not going to worry about. You can look at your handout. But if you look at number four, the contrast of natural life through Adam and supernatural life through Christ, that's what we are to gain as the overall focus in this passage. 1 Corinthians 15.45, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The quotes, if you see them, in 1 Corinthians 15.45, for the first man, Adam, became a living being, is a quotation from Genesis 2.7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Body and soul were united. We have a natural life through Adam. It is through Adam that we gain the natural body. For the first man became a living being. So in Adam, we have... What I'm going to refer to tonight as natural life. We have this body and spirit union. We have natural life through Adam. It is through Adam that we gain the natural body. C. We have supernatural life through Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that we gain the resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15.45 The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Through Christ... We gain the resurrection body. D, the natural body precedes the resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15.46 The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. So there is a contrast between natural and spiritual. What's important to keep in mind here is spiritual is not immaterial or a vapor. Rather, spiritual refers to being accomplished by spiritual means as opposed to natural means. It is supernatural as opposed to natural. 
So when the Bible is talking about a spiritual body, it's not talking about an immaterial body. It's not talking about a ghost-like body. It's not talking about some body that is somehow ethereal. Okay, it's not like Casper the Friendly Ghost, where you see an aspiration or or a hologram, you know, like a, a Quantum Leap. Remember that old show? And uh, he would uh, uh, leap through time, but he was a hologram. He didn't really have a physical body. You could put your hand right through him. Well, Jesus had a physical resurrection body. He invited Thomas to touch him, invited him to put his hands in his nail prints in his hands and his side, had a physical body. So we're talking about spiritual. We're talking about a body that is resurrected by spiritual means. But it is very much a physical body. The last statement under D, the first body comes through a physical process. The resurrection body comes through a spiritual process. Five, the contrast of origin of the bodies. The body that Adam received was an earthly body. 1 Corinthians 15:47. For the first man was of the dust of the earth. He was formed out of the dust of the earth. That's where that body came from. B. The body that Jesus received was a heavenly body. Meaning that it was unique in that it was given from heaven. Here we are to see the virgin birth. Jesus Christ received his earthly body in a way that no other human being has ever received a physical body. It was from heaven. It was the work of the Spirit of God. The book of Luke is really, really interesting when you look at what it has to say about the conceiving of uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, we read that the power of the Most High overshadowed her. That word that's found to overshadow is actually the same word that's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, is the same word that's used in the Septuagint to refer to the Shekinah glory. That manifestation of the presence of God, that uh, light that, that shone uh, as a uh, pillar of cloud by day, a, a pillar of fire by night, that uh, glory that, that, that shone in relationship to the, the temple and that filled their midst. Well, the, the power of the, the Holy One, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of the presence of God was realized in the womb of Mary and she bore a child, Jesus, who had a physical body, but he got that physical body in a way that none of us gain our physical body. We gain our physical body with a union of sperm and egg. Not so with Jesus. He had a heavenly body. Moving on. The contrast of the results of union. The issue of family resemblance. 1 Corinthians 15, 48 and 49. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are from heaven. 
Just as those who have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. In union with Adam, we have a natural body that's like his body. So that we, as physical descendants of Adam, have bodies like he had. In union with Christ, we will have a resurrection body that is similar to his resurrection body. Philippians 3.21 Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. The body that Jesus had when he came forth from the tomb. The body that he had on Easter morning. The body that he appeared to the disciples in after the resurrection. We have a body like that. Right now, we have a body like Adam's body. In the resurrection, we will have a body like Jesus' resurrected body. So, if we want to ascertain what our future bodies will be like, the best way to do that is to examine the passages that speak of Christ's resurrection body. And if those of you that have been around long enough... Remember, I did a lengthy series on life after death. And one of the things I did in that series was look at all the passages that refer to Christ's resurrection body to see what it was like. Well, we found out that it was a flesh and bone. We found out that it could eat. We, we found out that it looked like his, his previous body. There were many things that we learned from that. Tonight, just the emphasis is that in Adam, we had a body like his. In Christ, in the resurrection, we have a resurrected body like his. C. From Adam we received a sinful nature. Due to physical descent through Christ, we received a new nature through adoption. Being born again into God's family. A few weeks ago, I talked about that imagery. It's essential. All that imagery that, that speaks of being born again. And uh, it's introduced in the language of Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. He said, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? Well, he's not talking about entering your mother's womb a second time. He's talking about a new kind of birth. He's talking about a spiritual work that God needs to do in our hearts and lives. And that spiritual work is to such a degree, it's as though we are born a second time. And that being born a second time has two connotations. One, that the characteristics, the, the characteristics of our nature, the sinful nature of Adam, we all have as a result of being united with him. In United with Christ, we have a new nature. If you look at under D, Second Peter 1.4, for by these... He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So that the former desires, the lustful desires, the sinful desires are in a process right now of being changed. We are taking on this new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes it in this way. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things uh, literally are becoming new. They're in a process of change. It's like we've been created a second time. First creation, back in the book of Genesis. The second creation in the work of God. And so we read in the book, book of Revelation that there is going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. Everything changes. Changes dramatically. And one of the things that changes dramatically is our nature. We are longing, just as we are longing for that new body, we are longing for the realization of that new nature. There will come a day when we will not strive against sin. There will come a day in which sin will have no allurement for us. When we are in the very presence of God, when that day comes that there is a resurrection, there will be no lying. There will be no stealing. There will be no greed. There will be no hatred. There, there will be no division. There will be no strife. There will be no sin of any kind. Because we will have a completely different new nature that is totally 100% free from lust of any kind. And we will enjoy this perfect union with God. For we shall be like Him. And the admonition, be ye holy, for I am holy, will finally be completely realized. We will be holy. Like He is holy. It's mind-boggling. But it's the power of the Spirit of God. So we have this family resemblance as far as our Nature is concerned. And then we have the family resemblance concerning our body. So that right now we have a body like Adam's. In the resurrection we will have a body like Christ. I'm uh, toying what to do at this point. Because I've got uh, eight uh, pages tonight. I knew I wasn't going to get through everything. And all of this is unpacking what this heavenly body is going to be like and uh, I think that you can read this for yourself and study it. So let me go to page 8. Five concluding statements concerning the differences between our present bodies and our resurrection bodies. There's a conclusion of all these verses that go before. And you can read the passages that lead up to this. But here are the conclusions. First, our present bodies are corruptible. Our resurrection bodies will be incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 15 focuses on the believer. But the reality is every human being will be resurrected. There's a resurrection unto life. Remembering life is union. There's a resurrection unto union with God. And there's a resurrection unto damnation. Which is a resurrection unto separation from the love and mercy and grace of God. But every human being is going to be resurrected. Some unto life, union with God. Some unto death, separation from God. But every human being will be resurrected. 
And they will receive a body which is, number one, incorruptible, which simply means it can't be destroyed. Our bodies age. Our bodies grow weak. Our bodies are in a process of dying. Every time I get another gray hair, it just reminds me I'm closer to death. It's a symbol of death. We're dying. Our teeth are decaying. Our hair is falling out. Our cells are, you know, I don't want to get too dramatic and depressed tonight, but we're dying. Our resurrected bodies will never decay. They will never grow old. They will never deteriorate. They won't get cancer. Limbs won't fall off. Bodily parts won't stop functioning. For the child of God, that's a great joy. For the non-believer, that's a source of great heartache. That's why they are going to experience an eternal punishment. Because their body can't and won't decay. It will never pass away. It will never be destroyed. And so they're going to experience an eternal torment bodily, physically, emotionally, spiritually, forever and ever. 1 Corinthians 15 focuses on us. And the thought is that our bodies now will never decay. That's wonderful for us because of the experience we have, because of being in relationship with Christ, because of being in the place that we are. Secondly, our present bodies will die in dishonor. They'll be raised in glory. Uh, The verse is found in 1 Corinthians 15. There is a dishonor. It is a shame. It is a source of reproach that our bodies are growing more and more decay and older. Uh, We are embarrassed by the decay of our bodies. And so they, they die in dishonor. But they'll be raised in glory, in a magnificence, in a, in a beauty, in a wonder. One of the things that is unique about the Christian faith is the emphasis that is placed upon the body in funerals. Uh, we embalm them. We dress them up. We try to make people look good. We try to make them look natural. Uh, Bill Cosby has that record and uh, talks about he's going to play a, a tape recording at his funeral and say, don't I look good? Don't I look natural? Well, we don't, but yet, but we, but we try to, to make that representation because it's our future hope. It's a belief that, that that body is going to continue on. So we put it in a beautiful casket and we put it in the ground. Even though that we know that body is going to decay, we treat it with respect in anticipation of the hope of the future that one day we are going to be resurrected. And when it is done, it's going to be a glorious event. Third, our bodies die in weakness. They'll be raised in power. Uh, As I mentioned, they decay, they grow old. uh, We start losing our minds. uh, We become physically weaker. It's harder for us to walk long distances. Uh, you know, if you're the man in the house and you're used to 
being the one that always opens the jar, the day comes when you have to pass it over to somebody else because it's a little harder for you to open that jar than it once was. Uh, we lose our physical strength. We will be raised in power. For our present bodies are given by life, by natural means. Our resurrection bodies will be given life through spiritual means, the power of the Spirit. Fifthly, our present bodies are perfectly suited for the environment in which they live, and our resurrection bodies will be perfectly suited for the environment in which they will live. And if you want to read the preceding uh, pages, I think they'll be self-explanatory to see how we came to those conclusions. I've got a couple of minutes. I don't usually do it on Sunday night, but I want to open it up in case there are any questions. I don't want you to leave with any kind of misconception. Or anybody have any questions or comments that you'd like to make? Raise your hand. Any at all? Going once. Going twice. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for the hope that we have of resurrected life, of being reunited one day future, body and soul, to be with you forever and ever in this wonderful and glorious experience. Uh, Lord, help us to live in anticipation of that day. May we be able to keep life in perspective and realize how short life is. That uh, we are given 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 70 years and 10. But yet, when we think about the future, it's for all eternity. So, Lord, uh, may that be real to us. May it be precious to us. May it be an encouragement to us. Uh, may we live in light of that future, future resurrection. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.